0: As the children are heading out, if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 Uh, We have been going through the book of Exodus in the Old Testament Uh, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament right after Genesis So if you open to the beginning of the Bible and see Genesis and go to the next book, you'll be in Exodus Uh, And the um the large numbers in the Bible are the chapter numbers. Uh, we're in chapter 20 and the small numbers are the verse numbers, verses 1 through 17. We are going to be looking at today. And uh, this is perhaps one of the better known parts of the book of Exodus we're looking at today. It's the Ten Commandments. Uh, but if you've uh, been coming here the last few week, or the last few weeks or months, you know that there's a story leading up to this section. And the story that we've looked at over the last few months is God, uh, the people of Israel were uh, oppressed in slavery in Egypt, and God intervened to rescue them and to bring them out of Egypt. And he's brought them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where he's teaching them what it means to belong to him and to be his people in the world. And so this is where uh, God speaks to his people and gives them uh, the Ten Commandments. So we're uh, what we're going to be doing over the next ten weeks is looking at each of the commandments one by one. Uh, but what I wanted to do today is sort of do a big picture uh, sermon, uh, looking sort of at the Ten Commandments as a whole, uh, and trying to see the big picture of what is um, uh, what what is why do we have laws from God, and what is God's purpose in giving us laws and commandments in the Bible. So. Uh, Let's read, I'm going to read uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, and then we will jump right in. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So what comes to your mind when you hear these words? Laws, commandments, rules, obedience. If we were to conduct a poll, uh, I think we would find a wide variety of answers. Um, Some people would say those words feel annoying and arbitrary, like a rock in my shoe. They cramp my style, they limit my freedom. There should be no rules, just fun. Live by what you feel, do what you want, you be you. That's the way to live with authenticity and creativity. Now, if you resonate with that perspective, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been put in charge of a family or a business or a classroom or an organization? If you said to your children, to your students, to your employees, to your volunteers, there are no rules Everyone should simply do what's right in their own eyes. How would that work? Well, maybe not so well, right? Anarchy only lasts until someone steps into the vacuum of authority and the result is usually tyranny. So we might acknowledge that at least some rules are necessary and useful, right? They're not all annoying and arbitrary. Uh, But when it comes to the rules in the Bible, many people feel that they are unrealistic and therefore optional, sort of like a tightrope strung across Niagara Falls. Now, there are 11 people in human history who have walked across a tightrope across the Niagara River, across Niagara Falls, and have done so successfully. Now, you might admire them, you might just think they're crazy, Uh, but most of us don't try to emulate them. Why? Because we think, that's completely unrealistic. There's no way I could ever succeed at doing what they do. And some and many people feel that way about at least some of the rules in the Bible. Don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Really? I mean, I can't want, what any, I can't want anything that anyone else has and resent them for having it, even just a little bit. That's ridiculous. Some people would say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I mean, everybody does that. It's not that big a deal, right? These rules might be nice ideas. Perhaps I can admire someone who actually tries to follow them. But most of us will never come close, so why worry about it? If I follow some and don't follow others, no big deal. They're unrealistic and therefore optional. But this approach also has significant problems. Here's at least two problems with this approach. First, this approach makes ourselves, rather than God or any objective standard, into the ultimate judges of what is right and wrong. We think, well, if it sounds like I can do it, then it's a rule, and if I feel like I don't want to do it or I can't do it, then it's not a rule. Well, but if you take that line of thinking, you can sort of justify whatever you want to justify. Uh, And second, for anyone who claims to follow Jesus, Jesus completely disagreed with this approach. He took the law of God very seriously. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't give his followers wiggle room to pick and choose which of God's moral laws to obey and which to ignore or say they're unrealistic so I won't bother trying. Okay, so some people feel like God's law is a rock in our sh- my shoe, annoying and arbitrary. Other people feel like it's a tightrope across Niagara Falls, unrealistic and optional. Here's one other common view. Still other people say God's law is the missing ingredient in our dysfunctional society. Right, back in the day, two or three generations ago, kids respected their parents, students respected their teachers, citizens respected public officials, and everyone had some respect for God. And today, all that has gone away and the result is chaos. Therefore, what our society needs most is law and order. The fear of God, the law of God, and clear teaching about what's right and wrong. We should have the Ten Commandments on highway billboards, in the public schools, and in the courthouses. Because if people would just learn and obey the Ten Commandments, most of our society's problems would be solved. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a more biblical view of God's law, but the Bible also challenges that perspective in at least two ways. Uh, first, the Bible warns us not to look at the past through rose-colored glasses. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, the wisdom of God is not the same thing as nostalgia for a bygone era, which had its own problems. Second, if simply knowing the Ten Commandments would solve our society's problems, why did Jesus need to come? Jesus lived in a society where most people did know the Ten Commandments, and many people tried to follow them. But when Jesus looked at the crowds in his day, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. The Apostle Paul knew the Ten Commandments, and he persecuted Christians until he met Jesus. So God's law, good and holy though it is, will never make us right with God all by itself. So if God's law is not a rock in our shoe or a tightrope across Niagara Falls or the one missing ingredient that will solve our society's problems, what is it, and how should we think about it? That's the question I want to address this morning. As I've said, over the next 10 weeks, we'll go through each of the 10 commandments one by one and and look at them in more detail. Uh, But today I want to look at the question of why did God give his people laws and commandments in the first place? Uh, And so I want to talk about four things uh, that God's law is. First, God's law is a manual. It shows us how God designed us. Right? That's where the Bible begins, God created us, we didn't make ourselves, and so God's law is a manual. It showed us how God designed us. But second, God's law is a mirror because it shows us our sin and our shortcomings. Right? That's sort of the second act in the story of the Bible that God made us and then we sinned against him. But third, God's law is a window that shows us Jesus, our savior, and fourth, God's law is a guide because it shows us the path that Jesus' disciples are to follow. So I want to look at these four things, manual, mirror, window, guide. Uh, so first, God's law is a manual because it shows us God's design. If you buy a car or an appliance or a piece of furniture, it will most likely come with an owner's manual. It might tell you how to assemble it, or it might tell you how somebody else assembled it, but the manual will tell you Here's what this was designed for. Here's how to maintain it in good condition. And in some ways, God's moral law is like that owner's manual. It's written by the maker, and it tells us how we were intended to work properly and function well according to the maker's design. So unlike many humanly devised regulations, God's moral laws aren't arbitrary. They're good and holy, and God made us And so he knows what he's saying when he gives us commands. And the Ten Commandments are really at the heart of God's manual describing how human beings were meant to live. Uh, That's why we're going to take the next ten weeks to look at them in depth, because they have a special place in the book of Exodus and in the Bible as a whole. Uh, So in the story of Exodus, the Ten Commandments come at the beginning of God's laws. Now, they aren't the only laws that God gave Israel in the Old Testament. In fact, some people have tried to count, look at all the laws that God gave to Moses, and guess how many they've counted? 613 different commands in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, But these 10 come at the beginning. They're before everything else, and they're even set apart from everything else Uh, So the other laws, if you look at later in the book of Exodus, God gives those laws to Moses, and then Moses is supposed to sort of relay them to the people. But the Ten Commandments, God actually speaks directly to all the people. Verse 1 says, God spoke all these words. Uh, In chapter 20, verse 1, and Deuteronomy 5 uh, makes this even more clear. Uh, Moses recounts the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy 5 and then he says this these words the Lord spoke to all your Assembly in other words to the whole gathering of God's people at the mountain out of the midst of the fire the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice and he added no more and He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me So unlike the rest of God's laws God gave the Ten Commandments to all the people he said here's what you all need to hear Directly from my mouth Uh, And according to Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 4 the Ten Commandments were written on two stone tablets uh, And those two tablets were deposited in the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the central place in the the temple uh, or tabernacle of God because they sort of represented the heart of uh, Israel's covenant with God in other words God's expectations for his people and uh, we heard earlier when Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment in the law? Uh, and he basically summarized the Ten Commandments and reduced them to two. The first four are about loving God with all that we have and are, the last six are about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, so the Ten Commandments are really at the heart of what God requires of His people. Uh, they're foundational and abiding principles about how God designed us to flourish. Uh, now, You might ask, well, okay, I can see that about the Ten Commandments, but aren't there lots of other laws in the Old Testament, some of those, the other 603, that have to do with uh, sacrifices, different foods to eat or not eat, when to wash your hands or wash your clothes, or sort of ceremonial and ritual laws? And the answer is yes. Okay, So there are basically two different kinds of laws in the Old Testament. Okay, so they were, there are ceremonial laws, and we'll see some of these later on in Exodus after we get through the Ten Commandments. Uh, so, so the ceremonial laws were always intended to be temporary and provisional. They're sort of like the scaffolding on the outside of a building under construction. Right? The scaffolding is essential for a time while the building is being constructed, but once the building is finished, the scaffolding goes away. Because it was always meant to be temporary and provisional. And the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament, the laws about uh, the holidays that they were to observe or the sacrifices that they were to offer in the temple or uh, things like that, um, were meant to prepare the way for the Messiah. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says the ceremonial laws were shadows, but Christ Jesus is the reality to which the shadows Pointed and since he has arrived the shadows can go away Right since he is the new temple the built the complete building uh, Then the scaffolding is no longer necessary So this is why Christians are not required to keep kosher right obey the food laws in the Old Testament or observe The Jewish holidays outlined in the Old Testament or sacrifice animals in a temple in Jerusalem uh, Because those laws were always meant to be temporary Uh, But there are a second category of laws which were not intended to be temporary, which you might call God's moral laws, right? The moral law of God, uh, which sort of the heart of it is in the Ten Commandments, are laws that are rooted in God's own character. They're not just the scaffolding on the building, but they're meant to uh, be uh, more permanent, right? The moral law of God shows us how God intended us to live as his image bearers uh, and All all the moral laws can be summarized as Jesus said in terms of loving God being loyal to God above everything else and loving our neighbor as ourselves Um, So uh, The the Ten Commandments fall in this category with one partial exception, which is the Sabbath command Uh, The Sabbath command sort of straddles the boundary. There's a ceremonial part of the Sabbath command uh, which which is sort of fulfilled in Jesus, but then there's an abiding principle rooted in creation We'll sort that out when we get to the fourth commandment. But aside from the Sabbath command, every one of the 10 commandments is very clearly part of God's moral law. It's explicitly reaffirmed by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Um, So God's law is a manual that shows us how we were designed to flourish. And that's a good thing, but it's not sufficient because human society and human nature have broken down All right, think about it this way if you're sitting on the side of the road because your car has broken down You don't just need a manual that tells us how the car was supposed to work You need something or someone to diagnose the problem and then a part or whatever a tool or Gasoline or oil or whatever you need to actually fix the problem. So that leads us to Second point God's law is not just a manual that shows us how we were designed to flourish. It's also a mirror that shows us our sin When we look at the Ten Commandments We don't just see how God designed human beings to relate properly to him and to one another We also see how short how far short we fall of that design Uh, Occasionally People will say things like I May not be very religious, but I do follow the Ten Commandments I don't steal, I don't lie, I haven't murdered anyone, I think I'm doing okay. And sometimes Christians will say similar things. I follow the Ten Commandments, the rest of the world doesn't even know what they are. But when we take a closer look at the Ten Commandments, they don't leave any room for such arrogant and dismissive attitudes. Instead, what they show us is that no matter how spiritual or religious we are, None of us live up to all that these commands require. You see, the Ten Commandments don't just warn us against the most extreme forms of antisocial behavior. They are meant to thoroughly shape our thoughts and desires, our words, and our actions. So take the Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. Let me ask you this. Would it be okay, instead of murdering someone, to beat them to a pulp, and leave them wounded and bloody on the side of the road, but make sure they're still alive enough to crawl to the nearest urgent care clinic. Could you then say, I didn't violate the sixth commandment because I didn't actually murder that person? Of course not. Here's how Jesus interpreted the command not to murder. This is Matthew 5, 21 and 22. He said, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but I say to you... That everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So, according to Jesus, the command, don't murder, doesn't only mean don't literally take someone's life, but it also means don't hold grudges, don't verbally abuse others, and don't curse people in your heart. Another way to put this is, for every commandment that is phrased in the negative form as a warning, there is also an implied positive admonition. So eight of the Ten Commandments are phrased as warnings. Don't do this. Don't do that. But for every one of God's no's, there is also a corresponding yes. It's like two sides of a coin. Don't murder. But what's the flip side of the coin? Rather, honor God's gift of human life honor every human being who is created in God's image, no matter how weak or sick or small they are. So obeying the sixth commandment doesn't just mean refraining from a criminal act. It means positively honoring every human life that God has created and continues to sustain. You see, when we take a closer look at the Ten Commandments, even one of the most obvious ones, you you shall not murder, and we think about how Jesus interpreted it, we think, well, I guess I have held grudges sometimes. I have cut down other people in my words. I have cursed them in my mind. I have held on to resentments. You see, that's how the 10 Commandments are a mirror, right? When we look at ourselves in a mirror, we often see things that we aren't otherwise aware of. You know, a few weeks ago, before I got a haircut, my hair was a little longer, and just hadn't got a haircut for a few months, and every morning, I would look in the mirror, and every morning would be a bad hair day. It was always going six different directions. Now, what if I didn't bother to look in the mirror? I would still be having just as bad a hair day. I just would be oblivious to the fact. The rest of the world would still be well aware. You see, the Ten Commandments are like a mirror. A mirror does not create problems, but a mirror may expose problems that we are not aware of, that we are oblivious to. When we take God's commandments seriously, we often start to see things in our own hearts, in our words, in our deeds, in the things that we should do but don't do God's law shows us that we have fallen short of his standard. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, God's law all by itself is not the solution to our spiritual problems. But it does show us that we do have a real problem and that we can't fix it ourselves. We have sinned and we need to be made right with God. So God's law is a manual that shows us God's design. God's law is a mirror that shows us our sin. But third, God's law is a window that shows us our Savior. Imagine for a moment a human being who actually did obey all ten of these commandments. Thoroughly, consistently, and sincerely from the heart. Imagine a person who did love God with 100% of heart, soul, mind, and strength. A person who was always exclusively loyal to the one true God. A person who never worshipped power or money or any other created thing. A person who didn't just talk the talk, but walked the walk. Whose public life and profession of faith were backed up by his private life of humility and integrity and love. Imagine someone who lived for the glory of God, who worked diligently but never became a driven workaholic or an overbearing perfectionist who could relax and enjoy God's good gifts without ever becoming entitled or lazy or procrastinating. And then imagine the person who treated those around him with love and respect, who honored his parents, his teachers, and and the governing authorities, even though he was smarter and more righteous than all of them. Who didn't hold grudges, even when he was treated badly. Who chose to suffer rather than inflict suffering on others. Who didn't call down fire on his enemies, but gave his life on their behalf instead. Who was faithful and steadfast, who was affectionate and unwavering in a hard marriage to a difficult spouse. Who never stole, but always gave to others whatever they needed who spoke the truth even when it wasn't popular or advantageous, who was never greedy or covetous or lustful or restless or anxious, but in all circumstances lived out of a deep inner peace and contentment. There's only one person in all of human history who fits all of those descriptions. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfilled and obeyed and embodied all ten of these commandments in the deepest and broadest possible way. And through the Ten Commandments, what God is doing is he's taking us by the hand and leading us to Jesus and saying, look at him. Yes, you see, it's how I designed you to flourish. And yes, you see that you've fallen short of them. But look at him who obeyed them all. And guess what? He did it for you. He obeyed them on your behalf. The people of Israel didn't succeed at obeying the Ten Commandments. We don't succeed at obeying the Ten Commandments, but Jesus obeyed them on our behalf. And Jesus says, come to me. Don't rely on your own performance or your own obedience or your own efforts to make you right with God. That is a futile endeavor. It's a dead end spiritually. Turn to me and rely upon me. The only one who fulfilled and embodied and completely lived out these commandments that God has given to us. The Ten Commandments are a manual that shows us God's design, a mirror that shows us our sin, a window that shows us our Savior, and finally, when we see those three things, the commandments are also a guide that shows us God's path for his redeemed people. They're a guide given to us by the God who has saved us. And we can see this not just in the New Testament, but also right here in the Old Testament, So here's a pattern that I think is quite remarkable. There are three times, at least three times, uh, in Genesis and Exodus where God does 10 things in a row. So the first time is in Genesis one, when God created the world. And if you read that chapter, 10 times God says, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be sky. Let there be trees. Let there be animals. Let there be human beings. So God spoke 10 words to bring order and fullness to the physical world according to his good purpose. And then in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 7 through 11, when God judged people who had become stubborn and sinful, he sent 10 plagues. And the 10 plagues did the reverse of what God's 10 words in creation did. God's 10 words in creation brought order and fullness and life to the world, and the 10 plagues brought disorder and emptiness and ultimately death to the land of Egypt. They, they basically uncreated the land of Egypt. Egypt was returned to a state of chaos and darkness and death because of Pharaoh and the Egyptians' uh, refusal to turn to God. But here, in Exodus 20, God does 10 things for the third time in a row. After God has redeemed his people, brought them from death to life, brought them from slavery to freedom, he once again speaks 10 words, just like he did in creation, right? In 10 words, God brought order and fullness to the physical world, and now, in the Ten Commandments, God is bringing order and fullness to the moral and social and spiritual life of his people. And just as God had sent ten plagues to judge the land of Egypt for its wickedness, now he gives ten commandments to guide the people whom he has redeemed. So the Ten Commandments are a guide and a gift from the God who has saved us and brought us from death to life. So they're not the way to be made right with God. Okay, it's not that if you obey these ten commandments well enough, then God will accept you. That's not how it works. No, that God gives the commandments after he's already saved the people by his grace. So the Ten Commandments are our response to having been made right with God. If we realize that Jesus has come and done what we can't do for ourselves and saved us from sin and death and the devil, and we rely on him completely and realize that he has done that, then God's law is now a guide and a gift for us to follow as our response to him. So that's why the Ten Commandments begin with verse 2. Do you notice? The first word God speaks is not actually a commandment. He identifies who's speaking. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's a reminder that God has saved his people even before he speaks to them, uh, his, his commandments. Right? God didn't go to the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt and say, if you obey these Ten Commandments then I'll save you. No. He rescued them because they called out to him and said, help. And he said, I'll take you. And that's all he wants us to do today, to come to him and say, help. Jesus, I need you. I can't do this alone. And he will come and save us, right? But then he leads us to uh, learn what it means to follow him. Uh, If you've been coming to Uh, our adult sunday school class we've been going through the book of ephesians and the first half of ephesians celebrates what god has done for us in christ jesus how he saved us by his grace it's like the first half of exodus and only afterwards in the second half of ephesians uh, which we haven't got to yet in sunday school paul lays out what it means to walk as a follower of christ what it means to obey god Uh, and the order is important in both books so think about it this way if you're walking down the street or in the grocery store, uh, and someone who you have never met walks up to you and says, follow me and do what I say. Right? What will those of us who are good New Englanders do? We will give the person a strange look and maybe a choice word and walk on. Right? Why? Because if I don't know you, I don't trust you. Right? That's how New Englanders usually work. Got to admit it. I mean, I grew up here too. So, um, but what if you're in the grocery store and you run into your best friend who you've known for 30 years and your best friend comes up to you and says the same thing? You know that he'd give you the shirt off his back. You know that he's for you and not against you. You know that he's been by your side time and time again. And so if he walks up and says, can't explain all the details right now, but you're in trouble and just come with me and do what I tell you to do and you'll be okay. You'll probably have tons of questions running through your mind, but you'll follow him because you trust him and because he's proved his love and loyalty to you. Friends, you can trust the man who hung on a cross and died for you. He's proved his love and loyalty to you. Jesus Christ has demonstrated his love and loyalty to us, and so we can trust that his commands are good. Even if we may not always fully understand them, and even if they're hard to follow, we can trust that he says, follow me, because I've got you. And learn to obey them more and more by his grace and his spirit working in us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the commands that you give us, that they're not arbitrary. We thank you that they show us how you designed us to flourish as your creatures. Lord, it's sometimes painful when you're, we look at your commands and they expose how we have sinned and fallen short of you. But Lord, we need that because otherwise we are prone to be arrogant and proud when we have no reason to be such. But we thank you for Jesus who fulfilled and obeyed these commands on our behalf and we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit as our guide and teacher to help us learn to obey you and walk with you as your people whom you have redeemed. So help us Uh, Help us throughout this week. Help us in the coming weeks as we go through these commandments one by one. Help us to be shaped. We pray that your laws would bring order and fullness to our lives, to our spiritual lives, to our relationships with you and with others. We thank you uh, for your goodness and that we can rely on you. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.